Hey everybody, what's up? How's it going? Wow, so good. That's so good. I'm so glad that everything's great in your life. Um, are y'all are y'all fans of wind? Do you like wind? Mosquito situation? Yeah. Okay. I got some yays, some nays. I'm here for that. Well. I'm pumped to, ju- to jump in tonight. We're in our second week of the dating series. Last week we talked about singleness. Tonight we're going to talk about what to look for in a guy. This message is sponsored by the Real Men's Conference right here, which is, which is this weekend. It's coming up. So if you're a guy in the room, uh, Real Men's Conference, I sent a link. You can sign up for it. Come talk to me afterwards if you want to jump in. Even if you can only make it for like one of the sessions Friday night or Saturday morning, or if you want to serve in any, uh, any way, uh, come talk to me. Come talk to some of these other guys. They'd love to uh, get you jumped in there. If you're a lady in the room, please don't show up. But if you know men that might be fake, then send them to the Real Men's Conference so that they become a real man. Uh, I don't know why they call it real, real men's conference, but it's fine. We roll with it. So last week we talked about singleness, and I just want to say I am really, really encouraged uh, of the conversations that I've been having over this past week in light of God's word, 1 Corinthians 7, and that we just saw that singleness is a gift, that Paul refers to singleness as a gift in the scriptures uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, and, and it's, a re- it's a gift because we get to focus on personal growth and undivided service to the Lord. And that is an incredible gift, and, and that changes when you get into marriage and different seasons of your life, because all of a sudden your interests and the needs and uh, really your focus goes in so many different areas. And that's not a bad thing, it's just a different thing, and, and the single years of your life are huge to grow in your relationship with the Lord, to grow in areas of your life, and to be undivided in your service and devotion to Him. I said, man, we don't want to waste these years of our lives. And I love, I, I, this is the word that we talk about so much, uh, it's that we're content in our singleness, right? We're content in our singleness. And I had so many conversations. I think Amy had so many conversations uh, while she was cutting hair. All the guys like, I'm content right now. You don't even have to hook me up, maybe next week, but I'm content right now. And, uh, and I love that. Like, I love that we're content in our singleness. I love that we're seeing it as the gift uh, that it is. My, my one qualifier to contentment in singleness is the problem that we can get into is the moment we get discontent with our singleness, that's the moment we start to date. Like, all of a sudden, I don't want to be single anymore. Like, I'm kind of bored. I'm kind of lonely or... Everybody else is dating around me, like all of a sudden we don't see singleness as a gift, we're discontent, and that's when we start to date. That's when we start to look around, and I don't want that to be the problem where I'm content right now, and the reason I'm going to start looking out for dating is because I am discontent. Because when we come from a place of discontentment and pursue that, that's when we settle, we rush into things, and and we're just looking for someone to fill a void. And a relationship like that is never going to fill the void. In fact, as we closed last week, we we said that the the majority of the Bible is about a different relationship. It's about our relationship between God and man. And he fills that void. He brings the contentment. He brings the satisfaction, the purpose, all of those things. And so as we are content in our singleness, we are running hard after Jesus. And and I hope you can get to this place in your life where you aren't even worried about dating. You're just running hard after Jesus. And as cheesy as it is, and I'm sure you've heard this analogy, as you are running hard after Jesus, you are serving him. You're not really concerned uh, with dating relationships and the people that are around you. Uh, But as time goes on, there are other people around you of the opposite sex that you just keep uh, seeing. You just keep noticing. You keep bumping into you as you are both running after the Lord and you are pursuing a life of ministry. And when you get to that point where you can't ignore this person anymore, then you would pursue that person. You would have an intention behind that friendship, maybe that it would turn into a relationship and you begin to evaluate or assess that person as a suitable spouse maybe for a lifetime of ministry. Because what we're looking for is somebody that isn't going to hinder our ministry or cut our ministry in half, but someone that's going to enhance it, that they're going to be a great teammate, a great partner 
for the rest of our lives. That's what we're looking for. And so as we start this conversation about what to look for in a guy, I, I, I just, one, let me just talk to the ladies in the room. Hello, so glad you're here. This is awesome. Don't show up to the conference. This is for you tonight. Uh, Real Men's Conference, by the way, to this weekend. Please show up. Uh, ladies, this is a really big decision. This is a big deal. I mean, this is the rest of your life in what you are, are deciding right now. And so I don't want you to take this decision and make this decision lightly. I don't want you to rush into this. I don't want you to settle. I don't want you just to shrug the shoulders and say, I guess it's fine, it's good enough. Like, I don't want you to get to that point in your life. Like This is a really big deal. And so as we go through this list, it's not gonna cover everything. It's not gonna cover everything, but I think the things that we are going to talk about are crucial aspects of something that you should look for in a guy, and I hope that you would see in a guy. So it's not gonna cover everything, um, but, but I think it's gonna be really helpful in that search. And so if you aren't dating right now, man, this is gonna be an awesome time for you uh, to take all of these things in uh, as we go through it. And, just to be honest here, I think this might be, uh, if you are dating in the room, this might be a potentially tough night. This might be a really hard thing to walk through uh, because there's a potential that as we go through these things that you start to see uh, your significant other, your boo thing, whatever you call them, I don't know, it's your relationship, not mine, whatever you call each other, uh, different conversation, different day, they might not add up to the things that you are seeing. They might not be a biblical man that you should be looking for, that you would want to partner and be a teammate and live the rest of your life with. And I know some of you, like your heart is already kind of in and you, you love this guy, you like this guy, whatever it is, and so you, you may not even wanna listen at all. And anything I say may not change your mind and you're not even going to consider it because you've already made up your mind. And, and just, just do me a favor tonight, just, just take an honest look at his life and just think about it. Just try to be objective, just try to look, maybe on the outside, uh, looking in and consider these things that are going on. I, I just don't want you to brush this aside. I don't want you to, to brush this list aside because this is a big decision. And I said this at the beginning of last week, I'm not trying to break you up, I'm not trying to freak you out. I'm not trying to start a war. I'm not trying for you, you to slap me or your boyfriend to slash my tires. I, I don't, I'm not looking for that. I got that discount tire place so they give me free tires so you can do it, but I don't, I'm like, don't do that, please, anyway. Like, I'm not trying to do that, but here in this role, I care so much about all of you, and it would be a complete disservice of me if, if I never addressed and walked through these things and just had a really honest conversation to ask questions about where he is at. And if you're in a guy, if you're a guy in the room, this is not a night for you just to kick your feet up and relax. Like this is, this is about you. So as we're going through this list, are you one of these guys? How are you doing in these areas? If you're like me, as we went through this, I noticed there were areas that I was weak. There were areas that I was, I was lacking and that I need to be better, that I need to repent of things and pursue growth, pursue freedom. And so as we're going through this, we need to take a look in the mirror. And if you are single or wherever you are at, man, this is a great opportunity for you to grow in these things, to devote time and energy to grow in these things. I'll uh, start with a story and then we'll jump in. The, uh, the passage we're going to be is 1 Timothy 3, so you can, you can turn there. But uh, as we've been going through this dating series, a lot of what I pull from is um, my relationship with Amy, which is now a marriage relationship, which is awesome, great thing. And um, I thought back to right before I was going to propose had the conversation with Amy, had another conversation with Amy where she was kind of like, so when is this thing gonna happen? Because I'm kind of ready, you know? Like, 
I wouldn't be mad if you did it yesterday. And I'm like, okay, got it, okay, right? Loud and clear. Now I feel the pressure. I had a conversation with her dad. It was crazy. It was like six hours, a whole thing, and uh, it was awesome, though. And uh, so I get to this point where now I'm, I'm looking for rings, and I'm finding this budget, and I'm doing all of this research. What's the clarity? What's the cut? Like, how, how, how clear is it? All of these things you don't even know about, you don't even think about, and you're like, I have never cared about these things in my life, and now I have to spend a lot of money on a thing that I've never cared about in my life. And so it's kind of a stressful thing. And I start going uh, to these ring shops all around Ditton, and I'm checking these things out, and, and I find a few that I like, and I'm looking at them, and, and then they start saying these crazy numbers that are like thousands and thousands of dollars, but then they also give you a timeline of like, okay, so if you were to go with this one, uh, we would have, we would go back in the shop, and we'd make it, and we would get a, a diamond in there, because by the way, everything you see in like in a, a ring store or a diamond store is, is what they call CZ. It's like a fake diamond that just shines like it. They don't ever just put the diamonds on the rings really in the store. I didn't know that. I'm just learning all of these things. And like, yeah, well, this will, this will probably take us about six weeks. I'm like, what? Six weeks? I had to propose yesterday. Like, I can't, I can't do six weeks. Like, what are you talking about? And so I'm just kind of getting a little bit more stressed in this. And I'm, I'm like talking to Amy's sisters, trying to figure all this stuff out of how we're going to do this and forming a plan that, that Amy can't know. And it's a whole thing. And so I called Jason Fanning, my boss, my friend, my mentor. And, and he's got a guy. Everybody has a guy. Like, yeah, you got to go to my guy. I'm like, okay. What? And uh, I was like, well, what is it like? Like, how, when can I get in? He's in the World Trade Center in Dallas. And it's a re referral only kind of a guy where you go up in the elevator and you say Fanning sent me and you're like okay we let you in I don't know it's, it seemed crazy and uh, and I'm talking to him and he said yeah he, he the usual turnaround is four weeks and I'm like I I can't do that I don't have four weeks like I've got to get this whole thing figured out I've got to get this ring I just got to find one I'm just gonna take it out of the store, whatever I can do, like they're just gonna make it there on the spot and it'll, and it'll we'll figure it out. Cause I need to propose like this weekend. And Fanning said, hold on. See, you do realize that Amy is going to wear this ring and see this ring and show this ring off for the rest of her life, right? I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I guess. And he says, four weeks compared to the rest of your life. He says, if you rush this and you just find a ring, you're going to regret it. And you're going to see it every single day. He said, take the time to make sure it is the best possible ring and the best decision you can make that is perfect for her. Because she will be so thankful for the rest of her life. So I went to this place, custom made, did all these rendering things. Amy had another conversation. She was like, is this happening? What is going on? And I'm like, I, I'm doing a custom ring. You're going to like it. Just trust me. I can't say that, right? But all of this stuff, and we're going through it, and it's a whole thing. And then I think she probably still likes the ring, right? Still likes the ring. So it was, it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. And, and, and here's, here's why I share that story. I had a four-week wait to make the right decision, to find the right ring, to make sure everything checked off for the rest of my life. And yet, for some reason, I wanted to rush it. I wanted to just find a ring. I just wanted to hit my knee and propose. And I didn't even really think about like what the rest of the, her life wearing that ring would be like. And so as we're talking about dating, as we're observing all of these things, don't rush this decision. Because this is the rest of your life. It's the good times, it's the bad times, it's all the vows that you will make on your wedding day that are really, really real. And you don't even think about it until you're up there and you're saying these vows and you're like, whoa, really, then too? Like, that, it's a crazy thing that you're doing. So take the time. Make the right decisions. First Timothy 3, I think this will help us. Now, if, if you've read this, you maybe have a title that talks about qualifications for an overseer or, or for, an, uh, for an elder. This is, full disclosure, talking about church leadership. This is talking about the qualifications for an elder. Don't just think old people. Don't think elderly. Like somebody that you would entrust to lead a church. 
It says these are the qualifications that Paul is listing off. And you might be like, well, how does that exactly apply? Because we're talking about husbands and all these different things. Let me just, let me just talk about it. One, the principles that we're going to find here, I think, are, are incredible as we walk through this list. But but also, this is somebody that God would entrust with his church, the church of Christ, the church which is Christ's bride. That is what we are as the church. We are the bride of Christ. And he says, hey, these are the people that I would trust to shepherd my people. I trust them. These are the things that you should look for. And it is a noble task that men should desire, that they should look to, to become. And so we can pull that principle and say, these are things, if you would trust a guy to pastor and shepherd, if they're this type of guy, then they can certainly pastor, they can lead a family, lead a wife. This is someone that you could trust, that they would meet these criteria. So I'm going to read some of it, and then we will start through this list. Chapter 3, verse 1, it is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside of the church so that he would not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil." So what I'm going to do as we walk through this, I'm going to give you a list of five things that you should be looking for in a guy. Or maybe a better way to put it, five things you need to examine while you are dating, while you are in a dating relationship, five things that you should examine. And maybe this happens starting date one. You hardly know this guy, and, and it's okay. You don't have to know everything about a person before you say yes to a date. That's what a date is for, is to start getting to know this person. Or maybe it's you're, you're a friend. Maybe you see them around in this college ministry and, and you, you, you're interested and you don't know. And, and these are things that you can look to. And it's going to take time to learn all of these things. But, but these are the questions that you want to start asking. Number one, examine their commitments. Examine their commitments. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a bunch of questions and you can write a lot of them down or some of them down. But, but here's what you're asking. What is this guy committed to? What is he living for in his life? What has he devoted his life to? Is he committed to following Jesus? That's the biggest question. That's the first question that you should ask. Is he committed to following Jesus and making disciples? Is he committed to a church? Does he attend? Is he serving in his church? Or does, does he just kind of show up every once in a while and, and nothing more than that? Is he committed to growing? Like, is he serious about his relationship with Jesus? Does he have a solid community of, of Christian guys and girls around him? Does he have a solid community around him? And, and look, if, you, if you're walking through this and as you're writing these things down and thinking about maybe a specific guy or whatever that may be, if the answer to is he a Christian, no, then you have already found your answer and you know what you need to do. And I, I, I hate to be the bad guy right off the bat, but if you are a believer that you are living your life for a specific purpose, you are living your life for a specific purpose, you are going in a specific direction, and if they are a non-believer, then Paul would say you are unequally yoked. So you, you, can't, you, you can't be compatible. You have a different purpose in this life. You are living for God and his glory. That's what you're living for. And, and someone that does not know God, that does not honor him, does not live for him, is living for himself, living for his passions, living to please himself, not to honor God, to submit to him. And so if you get into marriage, everything you, go, you are going to do is just incompatible with one another. 
in the direction and the pace that you are going. And so if they're not a Christian, if they're not serious about their faith, then, then I think you need to reconsider. And, and I know some of you are in this room and you are like, but I am like the one Christian that's in his life. And, and if I break up with him, then maybe he'll hate God forever. And maybe he'll be done with God. And I, and I put this pressure on myself and I feel like I want to be a good influence on him. And I want to do all of these things because I want to help. And, and, and we have such good intentions with this. And so I'm just going to say something that might sting at first, but I think will, will be of a great blessing to you. God does not need you. God doesn't need you. You are not the one thing that is holding that guy together. God doesn't need you to, to, to reveal himself to this guy. And what, is that, what I'm not saying is you just are a jerk, you're mean, you do all of these things to him. I'm saying you should probably connect him with another guy here or another guy that you know is a believer and, and connect those things and say, hey, you should go to church. You should be invested in these things. I think this is an incredible thing, but, but where I am, the direction that I'm going, all the things that we're doing in our life, like it's, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work for us. And trust the Lord with their life, with their faith, with those things, because you know that they're not suitable for marriage. The scriptures are clear. And I know your intentions are good, but that is number one. We can't, we can't go anywhere else before we talk about that one thing. Is he committed to Jesus? It's not, it's not just commitments there, but it, it's maybe other commitments in his life. So you need to know, what are, what are other commitments in his life? What are the hobbies that he has? What is, is he committed to a job? Is he committed to school? Uh, does he have hobbies? Does he have passions? Like, what does he enjoy to do? What are things that he has signed up to and, and committed to in his life? Because when you see those things, you can start to ask questions like, does he follow through with those commitments? Like, is he a hard worker? Or is he lazy? Is he flippant? Does he, he quit everything the moment that it gets hard? Does he finish what he starts? Or does he just complain? Does he work hard? Do his hobbies and the interests that he have, like those are fine. You can be committed to the Dallas Cowboys. Like it's okay to be a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. If, if they're a fan of the Dallas Cowboys, like they haven't won a, a championship since they've been alive. So you know, they might lack discernment, but they're loyal. Like I'll give them that, like they're loyal. Uh, and, and it's fine to be a fan of the Cowboys as long as their, their fandom of the Cowboys doesn't consume their life. Right, it doesn't consume their life. It doesn't consume his time and get in the way of bigger priorities. So this is a good, these are things to examine and think about. Here's another one, this is, this is a big one, I think. Is he committed to the covenant of marriage? This is uh, verse two. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Is he committed to that? Is he committed to those principles, the covenant of marriage? Is he committed to sexual purity before marriage in y'all's relationship? Like, is that what he is stamping on that he is going to honor you in? So you gotta know what, is his, what his view of marriage is. Is it a covenant before God or is it just a con contract between people that can be broken for an amount of money and just a split of, of things that you have? He says, what, do you, what does he view about those things? This gets into our second one. Examine their beliefs. You examine their beliefs. This comes from verse 9. Uh, this is talking about deacons, but again, I think the principle is great. I'm going to start in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Verse two, chapter three says, they are able to teach. They are able to teach. And so what I'm, I'm not saying is that you should just marry a pastor. That's not the application of this. Uh, but, but you do need to ask yourself, are, are they able to communicate the Bible 
in, in their faith? Like, can they even talk about it? Is that something they talk about at all in their life? Like, what do they believe about God? What do they believe about the world, about humans? You should look for a guy that knows the Bible, that believes the Bible, and can share the Bible with others. And I know that that's a tough thing to measure, but, but what I would just urge you here, like don't, don't settle in this area, because I, I have so many friends. I went to Dallas Baptist University, and, and I had so many friends uh, where their mothers were, were genuine believers that meant so well, and, and their dads were just kind of aloof in the areas of faith. Their moms cared, their moms like tried so hard to, to raise them in a Christian home, to get everybody to church. But it, it's just so tough when like half, one of two of your most influential people in your life just doesn't really care. Like maybe the dad will go to church, maybe they won't. Like they're kind of there, they kind of won't, but they don't really talk about it. They're just kind of gruff and quiet and on the side. And, and, and the mom tries so hard to do all of these things and, and to buy in. And then the dad is just kind of sitting on the couch, just watching the game. And they're missing the game that is right in front of them. They never get in the game that matters. And so why I'd encourage you is that, like, man, if, if you can see that right now, that they don't love talking about the scriptures, they don't love talking about God that is not a part of their discussion, that their heart isn't on fire for him and passionate about him, what, what do you expect to happen? Like, that's a terrible gamble. You want somebody that is serious about their faith, that is pursuing God, that loves him and has a genuine desire to know him and, and for other people to know him as well. So that is a great thing to, to pursue. Examine their beliefs. Number three, examine their self-control. This is verse, verses two and three. An overseer, an elder then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. So there's, there's three I really want to highlight here. And yes, it is an alliteration because that's just what I do. Uh, anger, alcohol, and adultery. Is that an alliteration? It's three A's. You get what I mean. Anger, alcohol, in adultery, you need to examine their self-control. How are the, they in this areas? Uh, first one is anger. You gotta know, I mean, what did they do, or what does he do when things don't go their way? I mean, is he just a rage monster? I don't know if you ever watched the Dude Perfect videos where have the rage monster thing that cracks me up. Uh, really funny in a YouTube video. Really tough to live with, I'd assume. Uh, so, uh, but, but you gotta ask, uh, does he get violent with you? Or people around you? Like, is he a violent person? I mean, these are, these are red flags. These are red flags, because the scripture, it says that they are to be hospitable to be gentle, not, not a bully, not violent, but gentle. And here, here's where this is big. Life is really hard. Life is stressful. There are going to be really stressful uh, moments in your life where things are not going your way, uh, where, where there's just so much stuff going on. You're in and out of a job. Money is hard. Uh, family is crazy. And there's difficulties that are just swirling around you and, and there's pressure, there's frustration, like you're going to disagree. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to have fights. You need to know how that guy handles anger. Is he self-controlled? Because it is really easy now. But there are things where crap is going to hit the fan and you need to know how do they deal with anger? How is he going to treat you? How's he going to treat your kids? How is he going to discipline your kids? These are huge questions. These are things that you have to, to ask yourself or have an idea about before you would say, I do. Second one's alcohol. Is he sober-minded or, or is he a drunk? 
And I, I mean, I know no one's probably going to admit, like, yeah, the guy I love is actually a drunk. Uh, and that's fair. So let's just ask, like, does he ever get drunk? Like, have you ever been there when he is intoxicated, when he is, he is no longer sober? Has that happened maybe multiple times? I mean, if you have seen him intoxicated and drunk, then he is communicating something to you, especially if he claims to be a believer, is that he probably knows God's word. God's word is clear that, that we aren't to get drunk. And he's saying he doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about this. He would rather go his own way. He doesn't want to control himself in that way. And, and just, just to be clear in this, I'm not saying drinking alcohol is a sin. It's only a sin when we go to the point of drunkenness, when we are no longer sober-minded and in control in that way. And, and I know for some of you, you might not care about their alcohol and their drunkenness because that's something that you partake in as well. And you might be thinking like, man, this is just one of those things where like, God just doesn't want us to have fun. God's just trying to rip us off. Like, no, God isn't trying to rip you off. He's not trying to ruin your fun. God has designed and created this world with incredible intent, and he is outlining for us and giving us a path where, where life would be best. John 10, 10, that, that in Jesus, walking with Jesus, following Jesus, that is life to the full. That is the abundant life that he comes to offer when we follow him. God isn't trying to rip you off in this area. And I think our bodies are pretty clear. Like when we think about a hangover, do you think your body is probably communicating something to you that maybe it doesn't like that? Like maybe, maybe this massive headache and puke and getting all of this stuff out of your system might be that the designer, God, said this is too much, you've gone too far. Or do we just not want to talk about that? We just want to ignore the hangover part and we don't want to live the party life where it looks all really cool and we're living the life and it's all fine. Like, really? I mean, God has made it clear. God's wired it a certain way, and he says, it's good when you do it my way. But you've got to have moderation. You've got to have a balance. You have to have self-control. Our third A is adultery. I mean, this, this problem is, is just rampant in our world and our culture and, unfortunately, in the church. And I mean, we can't go through tonight if we just don't talk about pornography. And, and by the way, I mean, this is a huge issue for guys, but uh, statistics now, it's like one-third, maybe one-fourth girls that, that would actively watch pornography today. I mean, this is a massive issue. It is millions of people, and, and it isn't just, there's not just an orb around us. Like, it is here, and it is a problem, and it's something that we have to deal with. And so let me just say that, that pornography is extremely damaging to relationships. It's extremely damaging to relationships, to perspective, uh, to the way that we view things, to, to our brain. I mean, it, it, it programs our brains. It is an addiction. I mean, it clings, and it doesn't just go away. This isn't an easy thing uh, to just get rid of. It's a big deal. But, but for our conversation tonight, I, I think this one's really important. Pornography programs your brain to, to desire variety. And here's what I mean by that. If you think about pornography, uh, it, it is not, if, if I don't know, maybe you don't have much perspective on pornography and what all of it looks like, uh, but, but more than anything else, it is not just seeing like one person one time. It is seeing hundreds of images hundreds of images, which by the way are completely unrealistic because of editing and surgery and all of these ridiculous things. Like what, what do you think? It's just grooming and programming your brain to have this ridiculous expectation. And then we expect it to, uh, us to be content with a monogamous one person relationship when maybe our whole childhood or however long it has been of years where we are addicted to variety, where in one moment where we get bored, we just click away and we go to the next one. And we go to the next one of a variety of bodies of all of these images and all of these things. And then we think we're just going to be content in marriage. Like that's a problem. That's a big deal. It's a scary thing. 
And so I, I, here's, here's why I say that. I don't, I don't think you should keep moving forward in a relationship if, if there is an addiction to pornography on the table. Like, I don't think you should keep moving forward. I think priority one is to get healthy. It's to get free of that addiction. The most important thing for that guy or for that girl, uh, for the matter, is that you would get free of that. You would put it to death. That's intense, violent language. Jesus says you would cut off your hand. You would gouge out your eye. That is intense that we have to go to those measures to kill it and remove it from our lives. That is the priority. And so I'm, I'm not saying that you should never marry that person and you should break up forever, but I'm saying you need to stop right there and you shouldn't move a step forward while that is still in their life. Like it is a big deal. It is a dangerous thing. It need, and you need to take the time to break it, to starve it, to get help and to be free of lust before you would ever think about talking engagement or marriage. Because I believe that you're better off single than married to a man that's addicted to pornography. I believe that. So take the time. And we, we all have a past. We all have a past. I know I might be coming down really hard and judgmental, but we, we all have a past. We all have struggles, and, and, and we can find freedom from those things. I am one of those people. Many of my friends, many of my groomsmen, many other guys that I have stood as a groomsman in their weddings that I can say, you are ready. You have walked through this. You have fought the good fight and you're ready for marriage. And this is a great thing. It's a thing to celebrate. But what we have to know is like those things don't just magically go away. And I think that's what we expect. We're like, yeah, okay, I mean, it's a struggle. There's an addiction there, whatever it is, but we're gonna get married. We're gonna have sex, so it's, it's just probably fine. So those, those things don't just magically, magically go away. That's a gamble. And I wouldn't make that gamble. I would kill it now. And I, I know for some of you, because I've had this conversation hundreds of times, that you really, really want a timeline. You're like, okay, but how long? And, and when do we know we're free? And when does this addiction end? I mean, it, it's so tough to say. I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to say because every person is different. Every situation is different. Uh, but, but there are two things that I would say. One, I've been reading scientific studies about this and, and even in the past that they would say any addiction that has reached our brain and it starts to bring patterns, train tracks as they call it, in our brains, it takes 90 days for our brain to reset at all. 90 days to reset at all. So what I can say is at the very least, if you can't go 90 days uh, without something, without pornography and masturbation in your life, then it is still clinging to you. It is still a problem. And my second thought on this is that addiction is still a lifelong enemy. Like it's not just gonna go away after those 90 days. I, I'm sorry to break it to you, but after, on day 91, you don't just magically not want bad things anymore. Like I, I wish, I wish that was the case. Um, Mel Summerall, senior pastor, founding pastor of Ditton Bible Church, it was like two years ago, so I think he was 92, still pretty young then. Yeah, 92. Uh, we're having a conversation, and, and he just pulled me aside. He said, hey, would you pray for me? Like, lust has been tough for me. I'm like, what? What? Like, 92? Really? Like, that's still a thing? Like, 92. And he said, still a thing. Pray for me, brother. And I'm like, oh, that's a long time. And, and here's the thing. It's a lifelong enemy. We always have to fight it. We always have to be aware. And, and so freedom is a daily battle. Freedom is a daily battle for us, even after months and years of freedom. So, so uh, I mean, don't just think this is going to go away. But, but I can tell you this. It's, it's worth the wait. It's worth the fight. And the freedom that you would find now is so, so good. And if you're a guy in the room, it's worth it to be free of this, to kill it from your life. 
you will be thankful. Your wife will be thankful. Your kids will be thankful that you don't bring it anywhere near your marriage. So anger, alcohol, adultery, those are all about controlling the self in areas that we would resist things that our flesh wants. That we are saying no, resisting things that we don't want to do, that we would control ourselves in that way. And and that is one part of self-control, but there's another part of self-control that would be doing things that we don't necessarily want to do. And that also is self-control. And so this one is kind of under the umbrella of self-control. You can make it like a fourth point and we could go six points. Really doesn't matter. Your notebook, not mine. Uh, But that is the issue of initiative. You need to examine their initiative. This is kind of a big one, I think. Um, And if I had a box of soap, I might get up on it because I... I just get pretty annoyed by, this is a hot take. No, it's not even a hot take. I just get annoyed when guys don't ask girls out. And instead, they text and they Snapchat for like four months and they never say anything. And you're just kind of in this weird place and the girls are kind of like, I don't know what's going on. Do they like me or do they just hang around me? Are we just good friends? Like, what's going on? And this guy's just kind of playing this game and sitting in this place. And it's like, well, we talk like every day and we text, but then we see each other and we're just kind of like, hey, oh, hey. And you're like, okay, I don't know what that was. That was just kind of weird. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And, and like, I get it. I get it. It's, it's hard to ask somebody out. It's hard to take the initiative uh, to do something like that. But, but let me just say, leaders, leaders do that. They take the initiative. And there is no better way to show someone worth than saying you are worth the risk of rejection. Like a yes from you means that much to me that I would be humiliated by you saying no. Like that's a really, really, really cool thing. When I went, I drove down to Austin to ask Amy out and she lived there and I got a haircut and it was pretty expensive, but that's fine because I want to do that and it's awesome. It's different salon, like really nice. You get like a hot towel and they give you all of these things. And I got a speeding ticket on the way there. And then we hiked and we saw a snake and it almost attacked us and that was crazy. And then we got chicken and waffles, which was really good. And then we went up to this place. And also, by the way, I have to admit, because I didn't initiate here, so I just had to be on there. We we get to the top of this hiking spot and like the sun is setting and we're just kind of sitting there and uh, just taking in, the, taking in the sunset. It's just us. It's a private place. And I'm like, okay, I should probably ask her to go, uh, you know, I should prob- this is probably the time that I should initiate this conversation. And Amy goes something like, what are you thinking about? Because I got quiet there for a second because I'm thinking about it and I'm maybe getting a little awkward, right? And I have this moment and I don't even know what I said, but I avoided it and because in my head I was like, this was like a 45-minute hike, and that would be a really awkward 45-minute hike if she said no. Like, that would be tough. So I just didn't, and I could see she kind of got sad, and I was like, well, maybe that was a clue. But anyways, we go, and we go, and we get chicken and waffles, and we go up to this place, and we're on a rooftop of, like, Whole Foods, and it's really cool, and then we talk about it, and it was great, and we had this wonderful moment, and I, uh, and, and I initiated, and it was awesome, and now I can laugh and joke about it and say, you need to take initiative, because I didn't, and then I did, and then it was worth it. But one of the things that I said uh, within that conversation was like, hey, I know I just did all of these things, and it is so great, and you might say no, and I have to drive three and a half hours back and tell all my community and tell all these people that you said no, and it was embarrassing, and I had to pay this, this, and this, and this, but you're worth it to me. Like, it's worth the No. The opportunity to to ask you on a date is worth it, and I want to initiate that. And so that is an incredible opportunity, if you are a guy in this room, to ask somebody on a date. And, And one of the things that leaders do is remove confusion. They remove confusion. And and I don't know much about girls. I think the the longer I've been married, I'm like, I don't understand as much. Uh, But what I think I am picking up in some ways is that that girls think a lot and guys don't think as much. (laughs) I'm getting that idea. Like, Amy's like, what are you thinking about? And I'm like, literally nothing. (laughs) I don't know. I just am staring off into space. And that's kind of my life. And Amy's like, oh, I've thought about all of these things. And I'm like, 
Wow, okay. And so knowing that is true about a girl, and if you are a guy in the room, and maybe you kind of had a little friendationship going on, there's a little back and forth, and there's like slight sparks, and things are happening, let me just give you a hint, and maybe the girls will agree or disagree. They are probably wondering a whole lot of what is going on. They're probably wondering, hey, what is this? Why are we Snapchatting? Why are we texting? Why is this, like you're showing something, but then you're saying nothing. So I'm saying if you're going to lead, you need to remove that confusion. You need to have that conversation. You need to be clear with your intentions. And I'm not saying, hey, hey maybe, maybe you don't go on a date. Maybe that's fine. Maybe you have this conversation and you say, hey, I'm sorry if I have, if I have been unclear with my int- intentions or if I have given you any mixed signals. I just want to be friends. I'm not looking for anything else. Okay, great. It might hurt. Maybe the girl's bummed, but it's good. It's good to know. Closure's a good thing. Clarity is a good thing. But maybe you say, no, I, I, I am interested in you. And I don't know if you're going to say yes or no, but you're worth it. And so I'm going to ask you out on a date. Not, not, here's another pet peeve. Don't just like go and get coffee and never tell them what this is because they're like, is this a date? Is this not a date? Okay, he paid for the coffee. So is this a date or is this not a date? What's going on? And then you leave and you're like, coffee was good. I was like, so was that a date? Well, it was was coffee. Like, what is coffee? Like, go on a date. It's a date. Just call it what it is and it's fine. You don't have to freak out. Like, that's what dates are. Okay, and I know, here's my last, well, it's probably not. Like, I know there's a part of you where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to like them. I don't know if I should date them. And I've even had conversations where you're like, I don't know if this is a person that I can marry. So I don't know if I should go on a date because I don't know if I'd marry them. And I know for girls, you might be in the same, like, I don't know if I should say yes to this date because I don't know if I like this guy. I don't know if I'm interested. I don't know if I would marry this person. This is what dates are for. Like, that is what dates are for. I don't know what else to, I, maybe this is a different generational thing. I don't know. But you go on dates to get to know a person, to begin evaluating what that relationship would be and the suitability of marriage. And you might get to the first date and you're like, I don't know. I still don't know if I would marry this person. And, okay, let me try and clear this up as much as I can. One, did you enjoy it? Did you have a good time? Was it great? And then on the other side, was there anything that totally disqualifies them from, like, off the bat from marriage? And if you say, yeah, there were some things that disqualified them from marriage, okay, what? now you know. Now you know you don't go on date number two. I think that's simple enough. You don't have to know you're going to marry them after date one or before date one. You just have to know if you would never marry them (laughs) and if you had a fun time, Uh, right? So... Just think about it. Like, just go in it. It's okay. Step into those things. It's awkward. It's fine. Girls, just tell them no. Just tell them no if they suck. Like, it's fine. <laughs> Not, don't tell them that they suck, but just say, no. <laughs> I, like, I don't know how else to say it. You've got to figure that out. Not me. Um, but anyways, guys, remove confusion. Take initiative. Be clear, make plans, communicate those things from the, from the beginning. Lead in purity. Ladies, date men, dump boys. Like, I guess that's, that's what I can tell you. Date men, dump boys, real men's conference. That's the theme. Uh, yeah, it'll be awesome. Um, so here's, here's number four. I think I've said enough on that. If not, we can have a separate thing, and it'll be awesome. Number four, examine their reputation. Examine their reputation. Verse two says they they must be respectable. Verse seven, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. So this one I, I think is easy. I mean, what do other people think about him? What do your parents think about him? What do your friends think about him? Like, is he respectable? Is he liked? Or is he a bully? Or is he mean? Or does he give people weird vibes? Is he a creep? Like, what are those things? Uh, and, and I know for some of you, this is often maybe the area that you ignore. Like, when your parents are like, I don't know about this guy. 
or your friends are like, I don't know about this guy. These are the things that we kind of ignore. And the reason is because everybody's like, well, you don't know him like I do. You don't know him like I do. He's nice. He's nice to me. And, and everybody else is like, I don't think he's that nice. Like, I'm just trying to help. And you're like, shut up. You don't know him like I do. I know him the best. And, and let me just, here's a possible, possible thing. He really likes you. And so he is giving you the best version of himself, which over time will turn out to be a fake version of himself. And maybe everybody else sees it because he's not putting his best foot forward. He's just putting his real foot forward. And now, again, I know there's a past. Everybody has a past. And there's moments where everybody's like, he's a jerk. Like, he's a jerk. Don't talk to that guy. And he's like, okay, but no, he's been radically changed by Jesus. And that's an awesome thing. And that's a thing that I would celebrate. But this is, again, why you should take time in a relationship. Take time in a relationship for your people to know them, for, for those relationships to build, and for everybody to have an accurate assessment of, of who everyone is in this relationship. So you would, you would seek counsel of, of trusted people that are around you, and you would trust them in the counsel that they say. And I'm not saying just the first one. I'm saying there are a lot of people man, just reconsider, really think about it. Try to be objective in this. Last one, examine their humility. Examine their humility. This is verse six, and not a new convert so that he will not be con become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Man, please don't date the prideful cocky guy. Don't date the guy who thinks the world revolves around him. Don't date the guy that's always right, that always thinks they're right, who can't take no for an answer. Uh, what's uh, Oscar from The Office? Well, actually, like, don't, it's just that guy. He's like an answer for everything, an argument for everything. They will just, they're so quarrelsome. That's, that's in the text, that they're quarrelsome. They, they're constantly arguing with everyone around them. And let me just tell you the reason that they are arguing, the reason why they always think is because they think they're right. It's pride, that they are self-centered. They think they know best, and they think everything should go their way. And so they fight and they argue when it doesn't go their way. So are they humble? So don't get exhausted by, by a prideful guy. Find a guy that is humble, that will listen to counsel, that will acknowledge shortcomings in areas they lack, things that they were wrong in. They're not just a here I am person thinking the world revolves around them. They are a there you are person, that they are so curious about others, that they're always asking questions and they want to know people well, that they're always pushing the conversation and the attention on other people because they think uh, they would rather outdo them in showing one another honor. Like that's a great quality to have. Humility. There's another aspect to humility, and I kind of want to close with this. And I, I hope that this would give you some hope here because you may have listened to all of this tonight and you have gotten really, really discouraged. Uh, because maybe uh, the guy that you're dating or interested in doesn't add up to these things. And you might be really discouraged. Um, or maybe you're a guy in the room and you are really discouraged because you've gone through this list and you're like, I'm 0 for 5, brother. Uh, and you're like, hey, real men's conference, let's go. But uh, like you might be discouraged and, and you're like, man, I, I have fallen short of this. My guy has fallen short of these things. Maybe not all of them, but some of them in pretty bad ways. I'll tell you this, the difference uh, between success and failure will, you, will be the way that you respond to grace. The way that you will respond to hard conversations. It's when you know that you have messed up. It's when you know that you have fallen short, that you have seen that or someone has brought something to you and saying, hey man, your anger is a problem. How do they respond? Because they, if, if they are a man of humility, a godly man that you, can, that you can walk with is someone that responds well in repentance, in humility to areas that they mess up. 
Because I, like, I have fallen so on, on this list, like I've fallen short in so many areas. So many areas. And it doesn't mean like, okay, he's messed up. He missed one of these things. Done and gone forever. It's how do you respond to these things? How do you repent of your sin? Because your marriage is going to be messy. It is going to be hard. There's going to be brokenness. There's going to be difficulties. You're going to hurt each other's feelings. You're, this is just tough in its life. So you got to know, how do they respond? Do they respond in humility? Do they acknowledge their mistakes? Do they seek for forgiveness? Do they strive to grow, to be better? This is so crucial. I mean, if you're not hum hum humble, then you, you cannot receive criticism. You just fight. You withdraw. You run. You, po you push blame. You never seek for forgiveness. You don't confess your sin. You don't make changes. And that's a relationship that's going to fail. Got to find a guy that is humble. So if you're a girl in, in this room and, and you have seen weaknesses that, that we highlighted in this list and uh, in your boyfriend tonight, I'm not saying that you break up tonight. I'm not saying you're like, Come here, we're over. All right, see ya. Like, I'm not saying you do that. Uh, first of all, I wouldn't do that, but anyways, whatever. I, but, I, but I am saying you need to have some real conversations. I'm saying you need to have some honest conversations about what you see in the scriptures and, and what kind of a relationship that you have and where your relationship is going. Because if they are falling short in some of these areas, I mean, I, I just don't move forward. Be so careful. Reconsider these things. You need to have honest conversations about these things, about areas that you see weaknesses. And I want you to do those with grace. I want you to speak the truth in love. And I know some of you are like, where's the grace in any of this? I mean, let me just tell you, having this conversation could be one of the most gracious things that you do. Scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I'm not saying you just go stab them with your words. But I am saying you just open up and you're saying, hey, I am seeing these things that are, that are weaknesses, that are not honoring to God, that are not true of a biblical man. And I don't know what to do about them. What do you think? And so maybe you don't break up tonight, but, but maybe you give it a week, two weeks, three weeks, and you just see how they respond to the word of God, to areas of weakness. And I think in that time, you will see if you have a man that is honoring God, that is humble, that you, that you can walk with and continue to walk with, or if you have a boy that needs to grow up. That's going to take time. All these things are going to take time. It's going to take community. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take honesty. Let me just remind you, this is a really big deal in a really big conversation, and I don't want you to settle. I don't want you to rush. I don't want you just to shrug your shoulders and to avoid it because it's awkward and because you like the guy. Like, like, don't date potential. Don't just think one day they're going to magically be better and show up and be the awesome husband that you hope they are. Like, what are they doing now? Read verse 5, but a man... But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? He's saying you can see this area of life, you can see this responsibility that he has, and then you can project that and say, how will he lead the church of God? So if he is not leading his family, then how do you expect him to lead the church? In the same way, what are his commitments? What are his responsibilities? How is he doing now with the little that he has? Because if he is falling short and pooping his pants, then what do you expect him to do when there's a kid pooping his pants? And like, what is he going to do? Like, I don't know. That just came into my brain. But like, in seriousness, what is he doing with the responsibilities that he has now? Is it potential or is it actual? Because it's scary. You're like, can I actually trust this guy to lead a family? Can I trust him uh, to do all of these things? Like, how do I know? How is it going to project? What is he doing now? How is he doing now? Give it time. Trust counsel. And pray and pray and pray. Let's pray now.
Father, thank you so much for this time that we can dive into these things. I pray for the ladies in the room. I pray that you would give them a great discernment in the, uh, the evaluation of the boyfriend that they have now or um, in the future, the people that they are interested in. God, I pray that you would give them a great discernment, that you would make their decisions really, really evident and clear. I pray that, uh, that you would be our counsel, that your word would be our guide in the decisions that we are making. Um, and, and I pray that, that we would come to this place where we would honor you and it comes from a place of faith and not just fear of unknown, but, but a faith in who you are and what you are doing, that we are yours and that, uh, that when we're seeking to honor you and do things the right way, do things your way, you're not going to rip us off. We're not going to get into a situation that, that we are ruined and made the wrong thing, right? made the wrong choice. So God, would you give us a faith? Would you give us great counsel in this? I pray for my guys in the room. Lord, I pray that they would, they would see the opportunity that they have before them and the areas of weaknesses that they may have and that they would push hard into you, not run from you in fear of their weaknesses and fear that you would hate them, but knowing your love for them, knowing your desire for them, that you're not calling them out. You're calling them up to the standard. You're calling them up to who you have called them to be, that, that you have saved them and justified them and made them right before you, and that is what we are walking in. So God, I pray that we would seek to honor you with all that we are, right now as we sing and, and the rest of our lives and the way that we live. In Christ's name.